Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, and here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work, especially in the areas of healing or spirituality or social transformation. I'm very excited about today's show. My special guest is Annika Lewis, who is a nurse practitioner who's in private practice in Roseville, California, that specializes in helping both men and women to optimize their hormones using bioidentical hormones and other support. So before I read you her bio, let me just formally say hi to Annika and welcome her to the program. So welcome, Annika. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So let me give you a little background on how I met Annika. And that is just to let you, most of you know who I am already, but if you don't, my name is Dr. David Kamnitzer, and I am a holistic chiropractor and an ontological coach. And one of my passions over the last five years, especially, has been studying bioidentical hormones because I've been in practice now for 35 years, and it became more and more obvious to me as time went on for various reasons that even with the best lifestyle habits, the best nutrition, the best detoxification, the best mindset, that uh, I was reaching a plateau both in my own health and with my patients that was not satisfying to me. And being the kind of person that I am, I wanted to seek out solutions that worked. And that ended up taking me into a very interesting world of study of bioidentical hormones. And one of the things that makes that journey so interesting is that there's a lot of misinformation in that field and a lot of powers that be that aren't really excited about it at all. So it makes the journey sort of a hero's journey, if you will. And it's been very exciting. And as I got into it, I came up against a limitation in my license as a chiropractor in California. There are certain things that I cannot legally prescribe. For example, I can't legally prescribe testosterone. I can't legally prescribe oral estradiol. I can't legally prescribe oral progesterone. And sometimes that's the best thing for a patient. So As one not to be deterred, I reached out to my support network and said, hey, I want to make a connection with a prescriber who is trained in a way that I can trust, that I can put my reputation on the line if a person needs something that I can't give them and say, this person will take really good care of you and you'll be in really good hands because uh, my reputation is everything. And uh, a gentleman recommended Annika highly and we've gotten to know each other and here we are. And so I want to let the world know about Annika 
and her practice, but let me just start with reading the bio that she sent me and so that you can find out about the person before we get into what she does, who she helps, why she does it, and what challenges are common that people are facing, what kind of results people are getting, things like that. So here we go. Annika is a native California. She grew up in the Eastern Sierra Mountains and attended high school in San Diego, California. She attended the University of California, Davis, and graduated with a bachelor's degree in genetics. Annika completed her Master of Science in Nursing from Samuel Merritt University and graduated with honors from Samuel Merritt's Family Nurse Practitioner Program. She's a member of Sigma Theta Tau International Honor Society of Nursing and the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Annika has 20 years of experience in weight loss and hormone balancing. She has advanced certifications and bioidentical hormone replacement therapy from WorldLink Medical and the Academy of Preventive and Innovative Medicine. She's also an Evexapel. Yes, Evexapel. Evexapel certified provider of hormone pellets. As an athlete, former Ironman triathlete, swim coach, and All-American master swimmer, Annika is committed to her patients' health, wellness, and achievement of their health goals. She's, as I mentioned, she's currently in private practice in Roseville, California, with a focus on comprehensive bioidentical hormone optimization. So thanks for the bio. And let's get into your story. Like, how did you end up with this passion and decided to focus on bioidentical hormones? That's a great question. And I think, you know, like um, David, like you said yourself, many, you know, many of us, it's our own personal journey that takes us down a particular road. So for me, I went through menopause very early. I went through menopause in my forties and that changed a lot of things for me. And that transitional process of menopause, we don't talk about it in this country. We're not very good at, at hormones and we don't, we don't discuss menopause or andropause for men. And so that menopausal transition oftentimes takes 10 to 15 years to all the way transition into menopause. But what's happening during that time is that our hormone levels are dropping. And patients can feel this and patients talk to their primary care doctors about, you know, something's not right. I feel tired. I'm, I feel fatigued. And those are all the things that I was feeling. I wasn't getting benefits that I used to for my workouts. I wasn't having the energy that I used to have. And that led me to find solutions for myself, um, which was hormone replacement. And through that process of optimizing myself, I realized that everyone needs access to, to the same benefits that, that I was feeling. It's a little bit like you know, when we, we drive our cars and our cars are about ready to run out of gas, well, we refill the tank. Um, but when we're about to run out of hormones, it's almost like we take the car and we park it in the garage and just call it an old car. And, you know, just like the gas that you're putting back in your car, you can put hormones back in your body and not have to feel fatigued and tired and, and feeling like you're getting old. So that's a little bit of, of my story and, and why. And the passion behind it, I think, is I have the opportunity really to, to transform help people transform their lives through, um, through health and wellness, just by replacing hormones, we can, we can prevent some, you know, diseases that are rampant in our country. Um, we can help prevent diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, the number one killer of men and women, osteoporosis and things like that, just through hormone replacement. And at the same time, we're helping people feel better. So, so, uh, in an ideal world, we'd be talking into 
a blank slate and we'd be able to just educate. Mm-hmm. But we're not. We're we're talking into a system of thought that's been very conditioned so that most listeners have a lot of notions already mm-hmm. about hormone replacement and a lot of uh, fears about it. And some of it is very difficult to navigate through. Like, it, it, it's really tricky. Like, just one example that maybe we can talk about is when you talk about progesterone, for example, mm-hmm. even in the liter- the scientific literature, many studies conflate the word progesterone, which is accurately applied to the actual chemical structure of the progesterone in our bodies Mm -hmm. with things like Provera Mm -hmm. and that have that other than their action on the uterus have absolutely completely different and many times opposite and dangerous side effects. And it's, it's, it's embedded in our culture to the point where I saw a warning label yesterday from the state of California, I think, that progesterone is known to cause cancers. Progesterone or progestin? Progesterone. Because the word is so conflated in the culture that it's even trickled down to that level so it's understandable why people for example i'm just using that as one example yeah it's a great example could be afraid of that and so i think maybe we need to start at the beginning Mm -hmm. and we need to define what we mean by a bioidentical hormone as Mm -hmm. opposed to a lot of people that either already are on hormones uh-huh. or know people who already are on hormones and or they're already on the birth control pill sure. and they have all of these horror stories there's the horror stories about the what was the name of the women's health institute study women's health initiative was initiative completed in 2005 mm-hmm. so which is and the confusion there has done so much damage so i think Mm-hmm. To be effective communicators, we need to take a step back. For sure. And maybe you can talk about, and if you want to bring a historical context into it, that's fine. If not, that's okay. But maybe talk about what a bioidentical hormone is. Mm-hmm. And can drug companies make money on that as opposed to mm-hmm. the patentable non-biochemical hormones that do other things in the body? Well, I think a little bit, um, that's what's important to understand about how, how we got where we are here today with hormones in this country and, and why we're different from some other countries is a lot because of the Women's Health Initiative that was completed in 2005. And so in that initiative, um, we gave women um, horse estrogen and we gave them a synthetic progestin to replace their hormones. And those two things in combination cause some pretty terrible side effects um, that were reported as hormone replacement therapy. So when we confabulate 
hormone replacement therapy, we just, we really lump everything together, whether it's horse estrogen or human estrogen, estradiol. So that Premarin that women took, um, the estrogenicity of horse estrogen is a hundred times that of our estrogen in our body. And what that does and what the Women's Health Initiative showed was that horse estrogen um, in women that are over 62 years old who have started to develop um, atherosclerotic plaques, um, that horse estrogen is going to, in some cases, rupture those plaques for some of those women. And that caused heart attack and stroke. But what was what was told about the Women's Health Initiative, because for the media, it's very, it's very juicy to say, oh, well, hormones cause heart attack and stroke. But what happened was horse estrogen that was given to women caused heart attack and stroke in women over 62 years old. And so that was something that came out of the Women's Health Initiative that wasn't, it, in, for even for some doctors, it's, it, hasn't, it hasn't been cleared up for them. They haven't gone back and understood the study properly. The second thing that we gave women in that study was a synthetic progestin. And again, just like the, the primer in the horse estrogen, it's something that we can make money off of if we're a big drug company, whereas a bioidentical hormone that exactly replaces the chemical structure of the hormones that we have in our body, um, that you can't patent, that you can't make money off of, like a oral micronized progesterone. Um, you know, synthetic progestins are in all of our birth control pills. That's what the big pharma, is, that's what big pharma is making a lot of money on. But those, that's increased women's risk of breast cancer. So that's where the risk and the, and the, the um, fear that many even doctors have of giving estradiol is that, oh, well, it causes cancer. And it's not estradiol, human estrogen that causes cancer. It's, it's really a synthetic progestin in that study that, that was proven to cause cancer and increase the increased cancer. Um, and as a side note, the horse estrogen um, reduced the risk of cancer in the women that took just the, the horse estrogen side of that. So estrogen by itself um, was not shown to increase cancer in any way. Has there been any studies at all on uh, what estradiol does for yeah. women and what progesterone does for women, because we're not just talking about the difference between uh, people thinking that it's negative as opposed to it being neutral. We're talking about scores of benefits in the right amounts for both the main natural estrogen for humans, which is estradiol and natural progesterone. Could you just, just to give the viewers and the listeners a sense of the tragedy of this conflation, yeah. Can you just talk about some of the major benefits that most viewers and listeners wouldn't think about? Like, we're not just talking about hot, hot flashes and vaginal dryness. Right. We're ta- I mean, we're talking about things that impact. Uh, long-term health. Long-term health, trillions of dollars of healthcare expenditures, quality of life for uh, the main, let's just, for, just to keep it brief, let's just talk about estradiol and progesterone. Absolutely. So, you know, in um, all of the studies, and, and particularly in some of the European studies, the Danish study and a few others show the use of, of oral estradiol actually reducing the risk of breast cancer in women. So not only are we not going to increase the risk of cancer, we're going to reduce the risk of breast cancer. Um, the other thing that oral estradiol does through the first, first pass effect in the liver, um, it will flip the lipid parameters on on most women and men, by the way, I treat men with some men with oral estradiol as well, but we can, we can actually lower cholesterol levels without using a statin. We can lower 
the LDLs, raise the HDLs and lower triglycerides. There's not another medication that I have that's this inexpensive and side effect free um, that I can use to improve people's health. I get calls from I get calls from patients and I get calls from patients' doctors. My gosh, this is amazing. You know, her her cholesterol went from, from 500 down to 250 over a period of six months. What have you done? What are you doing with my patient? Is she exercising? Is she doing this? I mean, hopefully she is exercising and eating well, but actually she's just taking oral estradiol and that's made the difference in her health. And I had a gentleman that came into me um, last week and he said, I don't know what you're doing with my wife, but she came back from her doctor and her doctor is so happy with her because her cholesterol is down. So, I mean, I see just amazing things. And then with oral micronized progesterone, um, which is actually apoptotic to cancer cells. So meaning that if you put cancer in a, in a Petri dish with oral, with micronized progesterone, you're going to kill the cancer cell. So that by itself, like you're going to kill cancer with progesterone. Um, you're also reducing with all of these hormones, you're reducing visceral fat, um, which produces inflammatory cytokines. Um, there are a number of studies with progesterone that um, reduces visceral fat and um, a big study that was done that reduces, it reduces belly fat. So I don't have too many patients that don't want to reduce visceral fat or belly fat, you know, or improve their overall lipid parameters um, with just a, a simple application of, of some bioidentical hormones. So I want to keep hitting the myths here. Yeah, sure. So let's go to another myth that... Uh, I actually wanted to go back to one that, um, you know, it's, so it's really just hot flashes and, and night sweats um, because there's like we were talking about, there's so many reasons why, even though I don't have hot flashes or night sweats anymore. And I went through menopause at 40, I'm still taking uh, progesterone and estradiol every, every day. Right. And I wouldn't, wouldn't not take it. Well, you never get over menopause. Right. Right. I'm never not going to want to feel well when I right. wake up. In the morning. Right. So let's hit the myth about the fact that you don't need progesterone if you don't have a uterus. Well, I think, you know, in, in healthcare and maybe to save, save money, a lot of times um, progesterone will oppose estradiol's action on the, to stimulate the uterine lining. And if we've had, we've had um, a hysterectomy, well then, you know, we don't need to do that. But the benefits of, of progesterone are such that, um, well, one benefit is that you take it about an hour before bed and it makes you sleepy and, and it's a smooth muscle relaxant. Um, so it really helps you sleep at night. It helps you fall asleep. It helps you stay asleep. Um, but then there's the action on visceral fat and the can and cancer um, that you just can't, you can't get anywhere else. It's such a simple, okay. such a simple medication. Let's hit another myth mm. that uh, women don't need testosterone. Uh, that's almost my favorite one. Because for, for me, particularly, that was a game changer. You know, as, as we, you know, if you're, if you're active and especially phys physically active, um, as you transition across, you know, into perimenopause, you start to notice that your midsection is just growing. And even the, if you work out harder and eat less than you did before and eat a cleaner diet, I mean, what, I see so many women um, almost on a daily basis that come in with the same story. And, and I recognize it because it was my story that say, you know, I'm, I'm doing all these things right. And I'm really trying so hard and, you know, I can't, I can't change, you know, the scale, the scale's not moving for me or it's moving in the wrong direction. And my, my waistline is moving in the wrong direction. And I just want to feel well. I just want to have the same, you know, strength and, and um, physical 
ability to even half of what I did before. And, and we just are losing it over time. So I think a little bit of testosterone for women. And when I, when I look at testosterone in women, I'm just looking at the free testosterone levels. And I, I want to see free testosterone somewhere between about four and 10 and which is a tiny amount. Um, but that's where women feel really well. You know, our testosterone levels are associated with our overall level of well-being. You know, low levels of testosterone are associated with higher levels of anxiety and depression. So oftentimes I'll see a woman who's maybe 40, 45, 50 years old, who's on an antidepressant. And, and four or five years ago, you know, she went into her doctor with this, I'm feeling different, something's not right. And he puts her on an antidepressant because he thinks she's depressed. But what happened is her ovaries have slowed or stopped producing testosterone. And then we gave her the antidepressant, which then further cut her testosterone levels in half. But we don't tell her that that's what's going to happen. But now she has no sex drive. She has no drive really to do almost anything because testosterone is associated with just that overall drive to get up and go, that to go out and take the dog for a walk, to, you know, go to a movie, to spend time with friends, to do all of those active and social kinds of, of things that just a little bit of testosterone will do for us. Whereas in my, in my male patients, we're looking for testosterone levels somewhere between about 30 and 50 for the free testosterone levels. And I find men feel really well when they're there and women feel really well when we're between about four and 10, but it's an important hormone for us. For me personally, in the first year of hormone replacement, I mean, I, I worked fairly hard at it because I'm physically active, but I lost maybe about 10 pounds, but I lost two sizes because I just got so much leaner. And that was so important to me. I felt like I got my life back and that was, you know, that was everything. Let's hit another myth. Oh, I went to my doctor and he checked my thyroid and he only did TSH testing and it came out to be about five and there's this really broad reference range. And so the doctor told me I was fine or maybe he said, okay, he or she said, okay, we'll give you a little Synthroid. And, uh, you know, uh, I still feel really listless, especially mid afternoon, uh, my hair is falling out, my skin's dry, my nails are no good. I, don't, I feel a little foggy. I'm having trouble gaining, losing weight. My lipids are going up, but uh, I've been told my, everything's fine in my thyroid. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's another one that I hear almost every day. I mean, checking the TSH, TSH is not a metabolic indicator at all that exists in the, you know, in the, in the gland, but in the periphery and in this, at the cellular level, we have to check free T3. That is our active metabolism. Every chemical reaction in our body happens at that rate. So our, everything that's going on in our body, including, you know, our brain speed, all of that is going on at the speed of T3. And the older that we get, so our, uh, the gland makes four hormones, T1, T2, T3, and T4. We really only talk about T3 and T4 because the majority of what the gland makes is T4, and that's an inactive thyroid. The body has to convert T4 into T3 in order to get that active thyroid, which is T3. And so the older we get, the less that our body does that, the less effective our body is at that. There's a deodinase enzyme that we, we lack as we age that, um, that is responsible for that conversion. So when I replace thyroid, number one, I'm, only, I'm looking at T3. I mean, I look at the TSH, but I'm really looking at T3 to get a good sense of where the patient is. And then I'm looking at, I'm looking at symptoms because everyone's different in terms of, of how, they, how they feel at a particular level. And some of my patients' T3 levels, where they feel well is at 11. Now, the doctor might not like that, but that's where the patient feels good. They're not having any side effects, and that's where, where their body physically feels well. 
Other patients feel well when it's at four and some patients feel well when it's at 3.7. So you have to kind of take all of those into consideration. What are, what are the symptoms the patient's experiencing? What are some of the levels? It's a, it's a, there's more of a, an art form. And I think, you know, Synthroid wanted to make this really easy for everyone. They also wanted to sell a lot of, of synthetic T4. And so they told us as practitioners, just check the TSH. If you put the TSH in this range from, from here to here, then you're fine. If it's outside of that, then, it, then you're going to give thyroid. And, you know, as a, as a primary care um, practitioner, which I have been, you know, I have to know, I have to know about a lot of things. I have to be, I have to be a mile wide and I'm an inch deep. So if you tell me, Hey, put, put the TSH in this range and everyone's fine, then I can kind of check that off my list and say, okay, as long as I do that, everyone's fine. I don't have to think more about that. Cause I have to know if you came into me for a rash, I have to know how to treat your rash. If you have diabetes, I have to know how to treat that. And then if you came in and you actually broke your foot, then I need to know all the things to do in order to, in order to heal you there. Um, well, I don't, I don't practice in primary care anymore. I practice, I'm, I'm more of an, an inch wide and a mile deep. So when you look at hormones and when you look at hormones in depth, that's, you have to really go beyond the TSH. You have to look at T3. And that's, that's where the, the heart of the matter is. Uh, I think another myth is people go to the doctor and they say, can you check my adrenals? And, you know, unless you have Addison's disease or Cushing's disease, they say you're fine and they're not fine. People are tremendously stressed out and there's a lot we can do with monitoring DHEA levels, pregnenolone levels, Mm -hmm. cortisol levels. Can you talk about the importance of managing stress and how you evaluate and support the adrenals and that whole axis? Well, I think, you know, initially I'm looking at the, at the base hormones that we've talked, that we've talked about. I'm also in my initial panel, I'm also looking at DHEA levels along with that and making sure that because a patient, um, I can have a patient with PCOS who has adrenal hyperplasia. And so that person has a different, a different profile than many of, many of my other patients, but I'm going to look at the broad spectrum of, of things first and get, and get the hormones tuned, um, first. Then if we need to take it further, we can look at, we can look at some of these other things. I think that the base, what I'm looking at to get the, the base hormones right is making sure that, you know, for women, DHE levels, I like, I like those between about 250 and 300 in most women. Um, I don't replace DHEA in younger women because it does cause some acne. Um, so I wait until the, um, my female patients have transitioned um, into menopause, and then I replace DHEA. For my PCOS patients, um, to reduce some of the inflammation that's going on, I prescribe spironolactone, um, and that helps tremendously with that, that overall inflammation. And for just, some- just to let the, the, the viewers and listeners know, uh, my understanding is that that drug, although it is a diuretic, it, it, its action in your case is that it, it blocks the uh, testosterone receptor. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it can block testosterone's conversion to DHT and it can also reduce overall inflammation in, um, okay. in patients. Okay. So one sort of elephant in the backseat when we talk about all this stuff is uh, we hear so much about estrogen dominance, um, both in women and in men, and therefore people have a lot of fear about taking estradiol. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about the difference between the 
estrogen progesterone ratio that gets out of whack primarily due to things like insulin resistance and obesity, as opposed to when estradiol is given as part of a bioidentical hormone optimization plan. For sure. So, um, you know, and I think you, I mean, what you said is, is spot on for patients who, who have um, a lot of visceral fat and, and extra additional body fat. Um, in general, we see that that, that fat can produce um, an estrogen known as estrone. And estrone then converts back into estradiol. So you can, you can measure that patient and the patient may have higher estradiol levels than, than normal. Um, but that isn't actually a beneficial um, level of estradiol. It's because we're not, we're not giving it. When we give estradiol exogenously and when we take it orally, um, we can actually clear up some of the issues with lipids and things like that. Now for insulin resistance, um, we're looking more at thyroid and things like that that will help bring down insulin resistance as well as fasting. So depending upon the, you know, the particular patient profile in terms of treatment, there can be a variety of different things that we do to help a patient reduce insulin resistance. Um, because we really want, we don't want that estradiol being produced by internally by the, the visceral fat, by the body fat we want. We wanna be giving that exogenously um, because that's what has the beneficial effect on our lipids and protects our cardiovascular system. Um, does that make sense? Sure. Is there any concern if you have an obese man that comes to you for bioidentical hormone optimization and you see that they need testosterone, mm -hmm but they're already estrogen dominant, would you have a concern about if that person needed high levels of testosterone to feel good in the beginning? Would you have any concern about the fact that you could be uh, adding fuel to the fire and their estrogen levels could go way, way up? Or is that a confusion? I think that's more, that's more of a confusion. And I work with um, because part of my practice is a weight loss practice. So I do work with um, a lot of males who are obese and um, giving them testosterone is one of the best, in addition to thyroid is one of the best things that I can do because we're overall um, that with, with diet and exercise, we're going to, we're going to reduce body weight and body fat. Um, and then we're going to have them convert part of their testosterone into, into estradiol, which then has that same protective effect that women get from estradiol it has that protective effect in men as well, not produced by the visceral fat, but it is converted from testosterone into estradiol. So I don't block um, estradiol in men. <clears throat> in fact, that's, that's where we see the most harm. And we can see that when we look at the data on men who are undergoing treatment for prostate cancer and we're blocking, um, we're using a hormone blocker. In fact, mo most of those men we see are affected later in life by cardiovascular disease because we've blocked the estradiol, we've blocked that protective benefit. So I, I don't block estradiol in any of my male patients. So I would bet that you would say it's a myth yes. that men on TRT need to be concerned about an optimal estradiol range. Correct. And you'll see that in a lot of the bodybuilding magazines that the correct, the perfect sweet spot for estradiol is at 40. Um, and I would argue that they're, you know, they've read that and they'll come in and, and my favorite line from them is, you know, oh yeah, I, I, have gy I have gyne, which means that they have breast development and they cry when they see kitty cats. And that's what they've been told to say. So they'll get an estrogen blocker because the thought is if I block estrogen, my testosterone levels will go higher. 
And so from my perspective, if we want your testosterone levels to go higher, we'll just give you more testosterone, but we won't block the estradiol because in fact, if we block the estradiol, what we're going to get is three things. We're going, if we block estradiol, you will get breast development. Um, you will increase your body fat. And then ultimately at some, at some point, um, we'll have problems with ED. And those are the last things that any man right. wants to experience. Let's talk about the myth that it's dangerous to go in TRT, like let's say in men, that it's dangerous to take the man to a testosterone level above the top of the reference range. Mm. Uh, my experience is, and my understanding from talking to people I trust, is that there's so much biochemical individuality and there's so many factors involved in terms of actually all the things that happen outside and inside the target cell that have to take place that there are some, like for example, I don't think many people know this, but there's been an incredible decline in the statistical average bell curve of male testosterone over the last 50, 60 years to the point now where I believe it's gotten so bad that the top range is like 900 mm -hmm. and some ridiculously low range, like 200 something mm -hmm. to the point where you have to be almost dead for an insurance company to be willing to pay for testosterone. Anyway, so what I'm saying is I, I know of people that in order to get, for some reason, there are probably 28 reasons, that in order for them to get their free testosterone in that 30 to 50 range and to feel like a man, they have to get their, their total testosterone levels significantly over, oh, significantly over 900. But then there are some people that feel fantastic at 700. So it's very individual and... Um, so, and could you talk about that issue and also yeah. why a prescribing doctor has to have some courage in order to do that? Sure. Well, you know, I want to start by, I want to start by a little bit, you know, we've um, heard a lot of redefining, but um, the reference interval that we see, which is on most lab slips, which tells you the, it's the average of your population. So for example, if you're a 50 year old man um, and you get your labs done, something over on the side of the lab panel is going to show you the reference interval. So that's going to show you the average 50-year-old male in America who got labs. And let's just redefine that for a second, because most men, most of my patients that get labs are pretty healthy patients overall, and they just want to feel better. Some of them have disease, but the average male who's 50 years old who goes in to get labs, to get some labs, he's usually pretty sick. And now that, those are the patients that I cared for in primary care. We get, we get a lot of people coming in that are very sick. So First of all, the reference, the reference interval is an average of a sick population. So for me, when I'm looking to optimize someone, I know that that optimal for most people does not live within the averages. Um, optimal is, is typically well above the averages and it's different for every person. So for testosterone replacement therapy, um, we have, a, we have a, um, a carrier protein known as sex hormone binding globulin. It's different in every person. It's a metabolic indicator, but it tells, it tells me as a practitioner how much testosterone to give um, in each patient, because I know I have to overcome this carrier protein. It, it binds to our serum testosterone and it, whatever 
isn't bound is left over as free. So I know that I have to give a certain amount of testosterone just in order to overcome that carrier protein to get free levels. And I start most of my patients in the lower end of the, the range where I know patients feel well. And then we titrate up from there because it really is an individual um, marker. And it's each person is, is different. Each person is going to feel better at a, diff, at a different number. But have you found, have you found what I'm suggesting that in some men, you have to get the, the, the total way over those yeah. numbers. I, my, some of my male patients are well over 3,000. 3,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- and that's where, they, that's where they feel well. Now, now most, most practitioners w- wouldn't care to see that on a lab. Um, right. And, and LabCorp, LabCorp won't even measure it, right? It, LabCorp, um, if it's, it's over 1,500, they just it's say just it's the- over 1,500. And that's, that's what I use. So it just says my, my patients just register over 1500 and we're looking at levels of free testosterone. Right, right, right. And so you just know, you, you just know that you're increasing the dose until you get, Simple. until they feel good in there. They tend to, when they feel good, they tend to be in that 30 to 50 free range. That's correct. Yeah. So let's talk about why from a legal and financial standpoint, why it takes a lot of courage for a prescriber to be willing to go to that level for their patients given today's world? <laughs> well, um, you know, most of, most of what, what I do um, as a hormone specialist, um, most endocrinologists will tell you um, that if your body needs it, your body will make it. And that's not been my personal experience, nor has that been what I've seen in my patients. So that's the, that's the standard by which we measure ourselves because an endocrinologist is the, you know, the authority on um, the endocrine world and on hormones. Um, but if you're, if you're allowing that to happen, there's a lot more disease that's going to happen. So um, for, for me and to do the right thing for the patient, um, I'm, looking to, I'm looking to resolve their symptoms and I'm looking to make sure that we're, we have good health numbers. So I'm checking... Not only, not only am I checking their hormone levels, but I'm checking overall health numbers. I'm looking at a metabolic panel. I'm looking at A1Cs and things like that. And I, I have the opportunity to see um, health measures get better and better as we optimize hormones. But it's certainly not something that's, that's mainstream. And it's certainly not something that, that people's primary care doctors are doing for them at all. Are there things you have to do to intelligently cover yourself legally because you're outside the norm? Well, absolutely. Everything that I do is evidence-based. And so, and that's part of my training with WorldLink is to base the decisions that I, that I make on evidence-based science. And that's part of what I've learned through Dr. Neil Ruzier, who's probably, I think, one of the smartest hormone doctors that we have in the country. He's been practicing over 30 years and has seen thousands of patients and helped um, thousands of people not only feel better but live healthier lives and prevent you know prevent yeah. disease i would say this segues into another major myth that there's not a lot of research backing up this whole field i think uh might be useful for you just to maybe talk a little bit more about what dr Rousier has dedicated his life to and what uh the magnitude and the uh, the 
the, the amount of research that's been done and also the magnitude of the beneficial impacts that's shown by this research that people will never hear about on mainstream media. Correct. And I think, you know, what Dr. Ruzier has done, has re he's really taken and digested um, thousands of articles. Um, and in WorldLink training, there's four, there are four, four different courses that I've taken um, that happen over a, a four-day period, a, a weekend and an extra day, three-day period with Dr. Ruzier, where we, in detail, go over the research and the literature and go over the, you know, Neil has taken it apart piece by piece, each, each study to really understand what's happening and what, what were the results and what have the results really shown us, regardless of what's been politicized and pub publicized about that research. And so that's where we really dig into a lot of things like the Women's Health Initiative and the Danish study um, and some of these other studies. You know, in, in Europe, they have a lot different idea about hormones than we do. Um, and in Great Britain, when you transition into and through menopause, the government actually pays for your hormones because it's, it's reducing their costs, their healthcare costs, and they know that. And we, in this country, I think we are so beholden to the drug companies that we, we don't see that and we don't understand that here because it's, it's something that's more hidden from us. Would you, say, would, you say another myth? would you say another myth is that you can get optimal levels of vitamin D just from getting out in the sun? That is absolutely a myth. So talk about that, please. Yeah, what I see, and, and I see, you know, I look at labs, what I do all day long and um, is look at, look at lab values and meet with patients. And I have patients who are out in the sun all day long. They might be working as a contractor or working as, you know, working um, in an outdoor type of a job and they are exposed to the sun all day. But as we age, we just don't absorb vitamin D that well from the sun. So I'm seeing levels in a lot of my patients that are, that are completely, they're below 30. So they're below the reference interval, which means we're not absorbing calcium. So we are further risk for osteoporosis um, and illness. Um, vitamin D, I like levels right around 80. I like, I like to see pretty high levels. We don't see, and I've never seen a toxic level in a patient. We don't see toxicity until 400. So a level of 80 is completely acceptable and actually important for your immunity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your view about, a lot of people are afraid to take iron. Uh, what are you seeing in your labs with regard to serum ferritin and other iron tests? And where do you like to see in men and women the serum ferritin levels? You know, I, that's a pretty consistent marker. I see, uh, I see pretty good um, in the, I like that in the middle of the range. And I see that in most patients who have a, a diet that's pretty balanced in terms of animal proteins and vegetable proteins. I do have some patients um, that we supplemented in, and those typically are my vegan patients because they're not, they're not absorbing it. They're not getting it from food. Um, so that's really, I find more of a, of one that's, important in, in terms of the diet. So it's really important to understand everything about a patient. And that's why we get a full medical history in addition to a symptom checklist in labs before we talk about hormones with the patient. Do you find it also in women that are low in progesterone and maybe they're having really heavy periods? Um, well, I, I find, actually, I find a, a lower, I find lower levels of vitamin D in those women Interesting. Um, than I do, than I do ferritin. I really, um, vitamin D is probably a bigger, bigger culprit. And let me tell you that, um, many women 
with PCOS and, and Neil's taught us that every woman has PCOS until she proves that she doesn't. But in many women with PCOS, vitamin D deficiency is very, very common. And oftentimes we can treat um, some of those symptoms of low progesterone by increasing the vitamin D levels and that optimizes and helps, helps that woman produce more progesterone naturally. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of things even in young women that we can do um, by simply improving vitamin D levels. How about the idea that, oh, it's just too expensive, I just can't afford it? You know, it's interesting. I, I had a patient come in the other day and um, she told me, wow, this is so, this is so cheap because she's spending, she's spending so much money right now chasing so many things with her, with her health. She's taking, you know, Prevagen because she thinks she has memory loss and brain fog and, and she's taking balance of nature because she doesn't think her diet's right and, and she's fatigued and, you know, so she's spending all this money every <coughs> month on stuff that really isn't doing anything for her. And at the same time, you know, her lipid levels are, are higher and she's on a statin. And so when you take all of those things and, and combine them, all the money that people are throwing at, at all of these other things that really, essentially, I think people are trying to fix some hormonal problems that they really can't without getting some hormones back in their system. And they're, and they're wasting their money on some of these other things. And I, you know, nothing against obviously Prevagen or balance of nature. I just think if we can, you know, if we can give our female patients, a little bit of testosterone, a little bit of thyroid, they're going to feel better without having to chase quite as much and their health is going to be better as well. Okay. I'm just going to go continue down the myth hit parade here because I think this is very useful so that people can hear what we're really saying. Mm -hmm. So here's one. Okay. Man, a man, a bit on testosterone replacement therapy for a while goes to his family practitioner goes to his internist has has a complete blood count done <laughs> and the uh, primary care provider is freaking out because the hematocrit and hemoglobin is high and is telling the patient that they have to donate blood right away or else because they're afraid that they may have this life-threatening disease called polycythemia vera <laughs> Um, wow, I've seen that one before. <laughs> so, I mean, that could be really scary to a patient. Yeah. And I, and I think, it, you know, it absolutely can be. Um, but, you know, testosterone replacement therapy um, doesn't cause that, but oftentimes uh, an uneducated practitioner will think that. Um, and simply, simply what we have is that the, the patients, the patient is producing um, more blood cells, the patient, the patient's blood isn't thick though. They're the, the doctor is concerned that the, the patient is going to, you know, um, have a, a, a clot or um, a heart attack or a stroke or something like that. And, and we rarely see that. I don't ever, we don't ever see that in our male patients. You know, we simply, we have increased the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood and most, most men feel a lot better. Um, I mean, for my patients, a lot of times before they go see primary care, you know, they might phlebotomize before they do it just to prevent some of that, some of that. To, to um, avoid that conversation. To avoid the conversation yeah. with their doctor or, you know, many, many times, you know, it's up to the patient to make that decision or whether or not they want. But I mean, it seems so decision. silly because you use common sense. If a person had polycythemia vera, they would probably know it by now. No, they and just that, have a little bit of erythrocytosis. Okay. And, and then know. also, also, if that's dangerous, then what about if you tested a broad section of people that live in Denver or a broad <laughs> section of people that live in Mexico City? What a great, 
analogy. You're going to find the same thing, right? So, but uh, but I'm 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 bringing it up because it could really freak somebody out. Yeah. Well, you and that's I mean? a great it's a great analogy. What you said. I mean, what if I move? What if I moved to San Jose from Denver and went into went in to get my labs done? I mean, the doctor's not going to have the same response if I just moved here from Denver, right? I mean. I get more and more appalled at what is considered the medical standard of care as we continue down this road. Um, so I think we've done a good job in clearing the field here. Mm -hmm. So I think people can hear us a little better now. So let's, let's see if we can meet people where they are. Like, like people who come to you why are they coming to you from their point of view? What are their concerns? What are their challenges from their perspective? What is bringing people into you, both men and women, well, commonly? I think probably the, the number one most common consistent thing that I hear from patients is I just want to feel better. Um, and that, that ranges from I want, to, I want to feel better in my skin so people do come to us, you know, because they want to lose a little bit of weight and they can't. But I mean, for most people, it's not that they're trying to be a supermodel or they, they just want to feel good. You know, for most of my female patients, they can rock a certain pair of jeans and feel like that, you know, I feel good about myself when I, when I'm fit and I wear, and I wear these jeans. Cause it, most of my patients are overall pretty healthy, pretty fit. They take care of themselves and they're, you know, they're doing, they're making the effort, but they're not getting something back from the efforts that they're making in terms of exercise and diet and things like that. And they're really looking for support and something that's going to help them support what they're doing. So, and, okay. you know, people, I think a lot of people just don't want to feel like they're, they're getting old before they're, they're feeling like they're old. So it sounds like you have a pretty health conscious clientele. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's give people more of a reality on what would happen if they called you up or filled out a form on your website and said, I'm interested in possibly working with you. Can you go through sure. the steps of what would happen so that people have a reality on it? Sure. So initially, um, you know, we have a couple different ways to engage with us. Um, if you know right away that you want to get labs and, and you want to have me review lab work with you and, and go over and, and go over with you and talk about hormones. We have some people that jump right in and they want to do that right away. That you can do by calling our office and getting started with it. We, do, we run a full hormone panel. Um, but a lot of people really want to talk about their specific um, concerns. Um, they may have concerns about um, their specific situation. They may have concerns about hormones or something in their health that they want to address. Um, and for that, I have a, I have a bioidentical hormone consultation that I do with patients. So where we we talk a little bit about individual, each individual and, and what their concerns are, what their questions are as far as hormones. Um, I usually give them a, a brochure that um, was actually produced by Dr. Rousier and it talks about bioidentical hormone replacement and it's a nice introduction to hormones. Um, then the next step really is getting that lab panel. We get a full panel. Um, I look at all of the organ systems, all of the hormone levels, a few vitamin levels um, and some lipids. Um, C-reactive protein for cardiac, um, just getting an overall risk picture for that patient. Um, then we sit down and talk about their goals, where do they want to be health, 
HealthWise, and we go over, once the results are back from that panel, we go over, I go over all of their organ systems, their hormones, their vitamin levels, and make recommendations. So I, I develop a custom treatment plan for patients, um, and then that way they can decide what, what it is they'd want to work on and how they want to work together. So at that point, it's, it's the option of the patient, what they'd like to do with us. And we have different um, packages that we have different um, levels of engagement. They can, they can do a couple of hormones with us. They can do the full, the full amount of hormones that, um, that I've recommended, but there's no requirement that they do that. And so the, um, the full panel is 275. Um, and the, um, consulta the consultation to sit down and, and go over the panel and get a custom treatment plan is 199. And what sort of an average ballpark cost that people should plan on per month for their, for their uh, hormones and follow-up? It ranges somewhere. Um, you know, if you're doing testosterone only, it, it might be 150 a month up to, if you're, if you're doing all the hormones, it could be, it could be 299 a month or, um, possibly if you're adding vitamin D and some, and other things like that, it could be as much as 349. But people, that people aren't just paying that money for the medicine. That includes, that includes the labs. It includes optimization. So, you know, the process of hormone optimization sometimes can take as much as, um, between three and nine months and to figure out what's that, what's that perfect right number for that patient. And then also that changes over time. So we make adjustments as we go because we want to optimize and then continue to watch health numbers, to watch hormones and things like that, and to watch patient symptoms. So as their health changes, then we can adjust with that. So once that person's pretty dialed in after that, say, nine-month period, uh, what's a typical interval that you would want to check in with that person? Well, we definitely we definitely check in with, um, with our patients um, about at least once a quarter we're refilling hormones and things like that. So we're going to check in as we're refilling hormones and make sure that things are going well. But for our patients that are on our, our packages and programs, they would have, they have access, access to me outside of, outside of that. If they have questions, if they have something that comes up. Yeah, that's what I was getting at, that it yeah. includes an ongoing relationship oh, with you as things come up, which is, which is and so important. We have a portal. So we communicate with patients um, securely and electronically through our portal um, after they sign up as a patient, then they, they get access and they get their own portal. So their lab results will be available on the portal. They'll be able to look at their, their test results. They'll be able to look at my notes, things like that. And we can communicate back and forth securely through that portal. Now, so if you question or they wanted to schedule an appointment with me, they could go on the portal and my calendar is also on there. So they can schedule with me if it's a, if it's a tele, um, telehealth visit or if they wanted to visit in person, they could do that too. Uh, that was going to be my next question. What's the current status for uh, people that uh, don't live close to you in terms of whether they can work with you or whether they need to come to see you in person the first time or are the laws changing or where is all that? Well, because I'm licensed in California, we can, we can conduct telehealth visits. Um, and for most of the things that I prescribe, I don't need to see them in person. I mean, certainly I, I love to see anyone in person here in our clinic. We love to have people here. Um, but we understand that um, as you're further away, it's, it's a bit of a drive um, with traffic. So we can, do, we can um, communicate um, our EHR that we're actually onboarding a new EHR um, at the end of this month. And um, it, comes, it has a telehealth um, component with it. So the so bottom line is that if someone's listening to this or watching this 
and they want to pursue the possibility of a professional relationship with you, uh, there's no reason that they need to let distance get in the way. Absolutely not. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. Um, we're excited. We're excited about that yeah. part of it too. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, just getting back to my story and how we knew each other. That's a game changer for me because, you know, first of all, uh, I live like two and a half hour drive from you. And then secondly, <laughs> yeah. And then secondly, I ha- I consult with people all over. And so that's a big deal. Um, so that that's a game changer, actually. Uh, if you're watching or, or viewing this, the fact that you don't have to spend thousands of dollars and days of your lives to get on a plane and get frisked and travel and put on your mask and all that stuff. <laughs> now, um, people may not know about the options that are available for like once you decide, okay, uh, we want to give estradiol or we want to give progesterone or we want to give testosterone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be useful to talk a little bit about some of the different delivery systems that are available mm-hmm. and which ones you think work better than others. Like, for example, here's a myth that I've heard. Oh, uh, I was prescribed androgel and it didn't do anything for me. So I don't think testosterone therapy is going to help me. Um, and to make a long story short, the dosage is too low right? and it costs a fortune, but besides that, it's great. (laughs) Uh, And I have patients that it causes a rash. And so I'm probably not something. So let's talk about delivery Mm -hmm. systems and what your preference is and why, like, for example, I know that, uh, I know that a lot of people that are in the court of normie world of medicine uh, might be surprised that you very often prefer to use, say, oral estradiol as opposed to other methods, but there are reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you could go through some of the major hormones and talk about your preferential delivery style. We, you mentioned, we mentioned earlier in your, um, in your bio, that you're certified with a particular type of pellet delivery system. And mm-hmm. I know I've heard horror stories about some pellet experiences that may be a myth that needs to be addressed. Like I've heard a myth that, oh, I felt phenomenal in the beginning, but then it tapered off. And so the last two months were hell mm-hmm. and I had to wait until that was over before I could get my dose adjusted. And so I don't want to do pellets or I really don't want to do pellets until I'm real, until I'm really dialed in with my dosages, because what if it needs to change? And, Oh, I've, I've heard about infections at the, at the incision site and all these things. And yet I hear, I hear some people like that. I really respect in the field uh, for various reasons, they actually prefer that delivery method. And so even I'm confused. Sure. And so maybe we could talk a little about delivery systems and why you prefer what you prefer and why. And, and, and why. Sure. So, and, you know, I think I'll talk, I, well, and all, all of the delivery methods um, are viable for most patients. Um, and I'm going to say that with the caveat that for some women, um, creams, are not effective. The reason being that they have very high levels of sex hormone binding globulin. 
So a cream, they might do the strongest cream that I can prescribe um, and not get a effective or a, a, a level that's actually beneficial to them. Um, or I might have to prescribe such a strong cream that um, it's going to cause change, changes in the genitalia of patients and we don't, we don't ever do that. So there's a certain, I only go to a certain limit in terms of cream strength for, for women. And then um, we would go to an, an injection, which is a weekly injection of testosterone um, or a pellet. And the pellet method is, is very effective for both men and women. And I would say that I, I usually start low and go slow. So we don't overdo it when we initially insert a pellet. And if, if we're not, if we don't have enough, then we can do an interim boost. So pellets are a nice delivery system. It's some, it's a, pellets are, are made, the pellets that we use um, are from um, a Vexapel and um, they actually come compressed, they're compressed on a horizontal. So a, a pellet is much like a tablet, um, but they're like, they're little round cylinders and they're, they're compressed um, pretty tightly in, um, they look a little bit like a, a grain of risotto um, and they're inserted underneath in the skin of the patient. So they're trans, transdermal. Um, and so I only use um, testosterone um, pellets. I don't use um, estradiol pellets or progesterone pellets because progesterone can make women a little bit sleepy. Um, so for progesterone and estradiol, I use, I use the oral methods. And the benefit of progesterone is that it does make you a little bit sleepy. So women take it at night before they go to bed. Um, but women do well on shots. We use just a tiny amount. So they're using an, in, they're using an insulin syringe and giving, a, giving themselves a shot weekly. And we get very good levels. The, the benefits of the shots are that we can dial that up and down on a weekly basis. If it's not enough, we can, we can go up just a tiny bit on our injection. If it's too much, we can bring it down. Now, if a pellet were too much, um, I, we, don't really, we can't really take the pellet back out. That's why, uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I start low and I go slow. So we want to be re really careful with a, with a pellet, especially in a first-time patient. I have a lot of first-time patients that want to try pellets because the benefit of the pellet is that I insert it and it's, um, it's used up or, or it's, it's metabolized based on cardiac output. So right. more on demand. Yeah. My heart, the more my heart beats, the more testosterone I use. And so if I'm working out a lot, then I use more testosterone. I get more benefit from that testosterone which is a really nice feature of a pellet. Plus I don't have to think about applying it every day. If it's a if a woman wants to go the injection route with mm -hmm. testosterone, are you looking at about 10 to 20 milligrams a week or what do you? Yeah, something in that range. It depends, you know, again, it, dep it really depends on sex hormone binding globulin. If I have a patient that has a sex hormone binding globulin of 180, then I might, we might have to go 50 milligrams a week. And right. then we really have to consider the patient and whether or not that causes side effects. Because for some women, testosterone can cause a little bit of, of acne or a little water retention. Where did, you say, where did you say you like to see the optimal range of free testosterone for women? For women, somewhere between about um, four to 10. Four to 10. Yeah. Now with women who um, are not menopausal, mm -hmm. do you ever use estradiol? Typically I don't. I mean, it really depends on, this, on, the, on the woman. Um, but the reason that I don't is because in, in a, a perimenopausal women, the definition of perimenopause is that estradiol is going like this. It's, it's up and down, it's up and down. And so if I'm giving estradiol, when she's also producing extra estradiol, then we get, we get the five, the, the five B's of too much estradiol. And one of them is bloaty and breakouts and itchy. And so there's just, you know, we don't want too much estradiol. It makes us moody. It does other things 
for us. We just want to, we want a nice, e even and steady level of estradiol that we get from an oral capsule, as long as we're not producing more estradiol on top of that. Would you ever use it in a case of a younger woman that's having trouble getting pregnant along with progesterone? Or, or would you think progesterone alone might, and cleaning up their diet might help? Typically, it's more of the progesterone and diet, and it depends. I, I do have patients that a lot of times are insulin resistant. They have PCOS, and so that's a very specific treatment regimen. It, it typically consists of thyroid, um, progesterone, spironolactone before the pregnancy. Sure. They're pregnant, um, and to help that female patient get pregnant. Um, and there, of course, there are many other things we can do to help with, um, with pregnancy. But that's so I'm hearing, I'm hearing you say hardly ever. Hard, yes, hardly, hardly ever. ever. You know, I, I have done um, I have done it in a pellet a few times, just like a six milligram pellet, tiny, tiny pellet for um, women who have menstrual migraines. But I find progesterone works for that too. Yeah. And I like it better because we don't have, we don't get the side effects from it. And so in general with my practice, and that's what I want to do is I really want to, I want to benefit the patient and benefit the patient's health without causing side effects. Now, one thing, effects, one thing I think that's important to bring out is that in a younger man who has his life in front of him and has heard about testosterone and wants to get on it, uh, if it were me, I would do a lot of other things first. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, and so I think you would agree with me that the responsible thing in that situation would be to try a lot of other things first. Yeah, there are quite a few treatments. And I, you know, what I'm seeing more and more is men, you know, young men in their like um, late teens, early 20s. And we have so many endocrine disruptors in our environment. So these are things, these are, these are things we come into contact with. Chemicals could be, you know, plastics or different types of things in the environment that, that disrupt our endocrine system and it can disrupt our hormones. And, you know, I am treating some younger male patients with things like HCG or Clomid or, you know, some some other forms of treatment because giving testosterone replacement therapy before we're finished having a family, um, we can, um, we'll, we'll reduce um, spermatogenesis. And we, you know, in 99.9% .9 of men, that's a temporary thing. And we can bring everything back up again with something like um, HCG. But in that 0.1% of men that, you know, that that could be permanent, I, I don't want to be the reason why someone can't have a family that wanted to have. Right. Yeah, so I want people to understand careful. that. Be careful about about that. Um, yeah. And in the case where, um, you know, we really need, you know, a, a man really needs to um, have the testosterone replacement therapy. We have had some of our patients um, use a sperm bank to bank their right, just to just to make sure. So that's an yeah. option as well. But I, was, I prefer I prefer other forms of treatment. Yeah. First. I just want people to understand that when you decide that you're going to do. Uh, hormonal optimization. This is a long-term commitment. Yeah. You know, you, you, it, it's like if people say, how long do I have to take this? Well, how long do you want to live? How long do you want to feel good? Yeah. That's what, when patients ask me, well, how long do you think I'll be doing this? And I just tell them only as long as they want to feel well. Right. And then most of them say, yeah, I don't think I'll be stopping anytime soon after we get them optimized. It's a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. It really is. So uh, let's move toward wrapping this up. So I think we've done a pretty good job so that if the viewer, the listener was paying attention, they'd have a pretty good sense right now, whether like 
no, this isn't for me, or yeah, this is for me, or gee, this has piqued my interest, but I have a few questions. So if people are in that latter two categories, uh, could you very slowly and clearly <laughs> give out your all the contact information you want to give, starting with your name and then giving everything you want to say? Sure. So my name is Annika Lewis. I'm a nurse practitioner. Um, and um, if you want to contact my office, if you'd like to contact us online, um, you can go to www.2renewme.com. Is that the number two? Number two, and then renew me, R-E-N-E-W-M-E.com. Um, you can also call us if you wanted to call and just talk about um, scheduling. If you want to schedule, you can schedule an appointment on our website. You can schedule an appointment to talk about hormones with me if you'd like. Um, and there will be after the, by the end of the, this month, end of, of July, um, you'll have the option to schedule a telehealth um, consultation um, when we get our news. Let me just interrupt. We're talking about July, 2022. 22. That's so correct. People might be watching this watching two this years from later. now. That's and right. also, would you slowly spell both your names? Yes. Um, first name, Annika, A-N-N-I-K-A. Last name, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. And then our telephone number, if you want to call and, and talk to our receptionist, and she can schedule for you, or she can help you with a lab slip. Um, her name's Giselle. Uh, and our phone number is area code 916-774-0484. One more time with the phone number. Phone, phone number one more time is 916-774-0484. And, okay. And so I just want to turn it over to you to see if there's anything that you want to make sure gets on this recording in particular, anything you think was important we missed or anything anything that you feel in your heart you want to say in closing? Um, gosh, I mean, I feel like we covered so many topics and we really did cover a lot of um, the the nuts and bolts of, of hormones. And I think a lot of, of the, we went, we covered a lot of the key myths and things that people get confused about or are, are afraid of. But I would say, you know, if, if anyone does have questions, you know, definitely um, give us a call and I'm happy to sit down and, and talk with people individually. If they have questions, I would love the opportunity to, you know, help anyone. That's, you know, my reason for being here is to, is to help people feel better and live healthier. Okay. So I'm going to close the show out now. So first of all, thank you, Annika. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to or watching another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing or spirituality or social transformation. My special guest today has been Annika Lewis. She's a nurse practitioner by training and has special certified advanced training from some of the best uh, teachers and practitioners in the world in the area of bioidentical hormone optimization. She practices in Roseville, California, and uh, by the end of July of 2022, she'll be available to do telemedicine with anybody wherever you are. So uh, I want to give my personal endorsement to Annika. I'm familiar with her main teacher 
and have a tremendous amount of respect for Dr. Rousier as well. So I hope this benefits you and your loved ones. Feel free to spread the good news. And with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you, David. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.